Uh, I will tell you this morning that uh, you'll notice it may seem like I'm skipping over some things in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, but I'm not. I'm actually just doing it in two or maybe three parts, probably two parts at this point. Uh, so I, I want to give extra attention next week to the work of the Holy Spirit as the demonstration of the power of God, as we'll read about. And so don't, don't think that I'm skipping over the Holy Spirit. I have no intention of doing that. I actually think that this passage is worth uh, focusing on for another week, just to understand what Paul means by a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Uh, so, so don't, you know, come back for part two. Part, part one this week, part two next week, Lord, Lord willing. So let's actually pick it up because we need to know what's been going on here in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, verse 10. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be, be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God shows what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful grace that you have shown us in Jesus. We thank you that we have not come to know you 
and trust you and love you because we were clever enough to figure this out. But rather, God, by your power, you made dead sinners alive in Christ. You made foolish and weak people wise and strong in Christ. So God, we praise you for your good works of grace. I ask God that this morning your word would speak to us, that your spirit would make it known to us what is true, exposing the sin and unbelief in our hearts and filling it instead with the righteousness of Jesus, with the knowledge of the truth, and with love for you. God, would you do this, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. What are your weaknesses? Maybe you're thinking right now, heat is my weakness. And I don't hear our air conditioner running, which is not a good sign because it's on. Uh, (laughs) But you know what? That's just fine. Is it running? Oh, well, it's got some work to do, from my perspective at least. but I mean, so a friend of mine was just recently hiring, and uh, of course he asked his applicants that question: "What are your weaknesses?" And we like to joke about the sort of answers that people give in interviews, like you know, "I just work too hard," or uh, "I care too much." So that's a weakness, or, or or I tend to overcommit. So those are the sorts of weaknesses that aren't really weaknesses, right? They might look good on a resume, but but we know that actually what you're saying is that those are your strengths. It seems to be our human nature to want to cover up our weaknesses. Because if you think about it, like verse 3, verse 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 does not look good on a resume. This is not an effective ministry strategy. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. We'd prefer someone strong and bold and courageous, right? But this is what Paul's doing here. He's pressing us, though, to see that weakness in us highlights the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, just think about this. Isn't our weakness the reason for our worship? Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says this. Romans 5, 6. While we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. I mean, so not only were we ungodly, not only were we rebels against God, we were weak, which means we were unable to fix ourselves. So so any physical or emotional or mental weakness that you feel always cries to a deeper weakness that's in us, a spiritual weakness. We are dust. God says to Adam, and to dust we return. But but God, who is rich in mercy and abounding in steadfast love, God, who has the power to defeat sin and death and the devil through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God, the powerful one, gives us life. When we were weak, Christ at the right time died for the ungodly. God in his strength overcomes darkness with light, foolishness with wisdom, Error with truth, despair with hope, sorrow with joy, futility with purpose, weakness with power. God in his strength overcomes death with life. That's grace, right? right? We, we, we are weak. He is strong. And that's good news, right? Why is it then 
if the gospel is about Christ's strength in our weakness, that we still want to cover up our weaknesses. Why is it, human nature, why is it tempting then to, to forget the grace of God? I mean, perhaps there's a part of us that says, I'd like to hide who I really am so I can just highlight a bit of who I think I am. I'd like to look a little better than I know myself to truly be. Paul says, don't do that, Christians. Christians, don't, don't be so concerned about hiding your weaknesses. Rather, proclaim the power of God in the gospel. Here's his purpose. Your faith, this is verse 5, 1 Corinthians 2, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So if that's, that's Paul's goal for us, that our faith would rest not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, the question that I'm trying to piece together is why include verse 3? Why say that he was with them in weakness and fear and much trembling? If Paul is trying to highlight the power of God, why does he talk about his own weaknesses? That's very much what we're going to try to figure out today or understand today. And, and maybe you could think of it in this term. This is just a question that you can use to apply in your own life. What role do weaknesses play in your faith and your witnesses? What, what role do weaknesses play in your faith and your witness? So that makes three really nice, easy points. Faith, weakness, witness. Faith, let's remember from chapter 1 that there was quarreling and division in the Corinthian church. And there's sort of this mystery. What was that quarreling? What were they fighting about? Let me give you just a hypothesis. This is just from me. Just think about this for a second. Perhaps some of their quarreling centered around how to make the message of the gospel most effective in reaching the people of Corinth. That's a good desire, right? That they wanted people to know Jesus. And clearly it wasn't easy. That was part of the conflict that they were dealing with. We read about it in chapter 1. right? People heard this message of Christ crucified and they said, that, that sounds weak. That sounds foolish. That God would take on human flesh and not only take on human flesh, but then he would die in the most gruesome and shameful way possible. So, so the Corinthians had this problem, right? They kept telling people about this and, and people weren't believing. They called it foolish. So you could almost imagine a Corinthian church board meeting if they had those sorts of things. I don't think they did, but maybe they did. And everyone sits around asking the questions like, well, how is it then that we can get some more people to believe this message? How, how could we get a few more people to come through the doors of the Corinthian church? How, how could we help the people of Corinth give a message that's a little bit more exciting and appealing? Now, those are not necessarily bad questions, but man, they can easily lead to some really bad answers. Maybe there was a group at this board meeting that said, hey, you know what? When Paul was here, I really liked his method. I thought he did a good job. Maybe another group said, no, 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 Paul, Paul's method was okay, but you know what we were like? We really like the Apollos model. Let's try the Apollos model of ministry. Other people said, no, Peter's strategy. Peter's strategy is where it's at. I mean, you could see if that was the conversation, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas or Peter. You could see how that could cause some conflict, right? How that can spiral out of control. Paul's correction is that when we do this, we're elevating the wisdom of men over the power of God. See, Paul and Apollos and Peter, they simply proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were not concerned about their method. What made them effective was the power of God, not the method of the man. 
This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 1, he said, I came to you, I, uh, brothers, I, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. That is, Paul wasn't going to try to package the gospel in words that were appealing to people with fancy words or great presentations or airtight arguments. Paul simply came and told the truth. Christ crucified for sinners. He was even, we might say, deliberate in avoiding using popular methods to persuade people to be Christians. And here's why. Because the Corinthian culture loved lofty speech and wisdom. In Corinth, and if you just do a little bit of research on the history of Corinth, you'll find this. They loved to be entertained by good speakers. Truthfully, they didn't really care what you were talking about. They just wanted you to talk and entertain them. And, and so if you could be really flashy, really, really witty, really eloquent, boy, they would, they would follow you. They would hire you. They would even pay you. Paul said, I'm refusing to play that game. I'm not going to play that game with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's warning the Corinthian Christians, don't do the same. Don't pander to the culture. See, if the Corinthian Christians really wanted people to believe the gospel, they needed to have no dependence on the wisdom of men. No flashy presentations, no relevant arguments. They needed to go back to the beginning of their faith, the preaching of Christ crucified. I mean, we Christians are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. That's our Christian faith. You and I have hope in Christ, not because we figured it out or somebody finally convinced us to come to Jesus. We have hope in Christ because of God's power that made us alive. Now, now that isn't to say that faithful Christians didn't tell you the gospel. Of course they did. Of course people tried to use good arguments to, to help you trust Christ. Some people perhaps even went to great lengths to explain to you the gospel. And that is all of value. But at the end of the day, it wasn't people's persuading. It is the power of God. We read this in, in chapter 1, verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. Remember that? You, you, you cannot know God through wisdom. You cannot think yourself to God. Rather, it pleased God, verse 21 continues, through the folly of what we preach, right? Christ crucified, to save those who believe. It, it really reveals a weakness in us then. If we started our faith by the power of God, that the, we would then be tempted to spread the faith by something else. By the wisdom of men. I mean, do we do this? I think we really do. And Christians, we have to look at ourselves and ask how. We should consider, how is it that we may wrongly, wrongly answer the question of faith? This is what I mean by the question of faith. Here's the question of faith. How can we know God and be holy? That's the question of faith. It's a question that Paul's dealing with here in 1 Corinthians. It's a big question. Kids, I would even encourage you to write that question down. Or if you're not writing, to ask your parents to write it down. You guys can talk about it in the car over lunch. This is the question of faith. How can we know God and be holy? Now remember that, kids, because I'm going to tell you the right answer in a second. But first, we need to talk about the wrong answers. How is it that we Christians answer that question wrongly? How can we know God and be holy? Well, perhaps what we need is a great church. Solid Bible teaching, rich tradition, or maybe on, on the other end of the spectrum, relevancy and great production, catchy music. If we just had great churches, people would know God and be holy. 
Or perhaps we answer that question by saying, hey, you know what we need is we need skilled and dynamic people. Like we need good training, we need education, we need gifts. If we just had great ministers, people would know God and be holy. Or we might say, you know, actually what we need is scholar, scholars and apologists. We need to stay ahead of the curve intellectually. We need to be able to answer every objection. If only we had great answers, maybe people would know God and be holy. Or perhaps maybe what we need is we need political and cultural and economic capital. You know, if we just had great power, people would know God and be holy. Or if you want to sound a little more spiritual, or if we just had a revival. If we just had Christians who were zealous for the Christian life. Boy, if we just had a great movement, people would know God and be holy. Are you tempted to think that way? I am. I know I am. These are all good things. These aren't necessarily bad things. These are good things that can have immense value in the Christian life and the world. But I hope you see the problem here. The second we think that we can know God and be holy by something that we can do or something that we can have or something that we can fabricate, we leave behind the power of God. Even when we take good things and make them the main thing. So how can we know God and be holy? Kids, here's where the right answer comes in. Only through Jesus Christ. That is the power of God in the gospel. You can only know God through Jesus. You can only know God and be holy through Jesus Christ. This is what I'm calling you to hear, and Paul, I think, is calling us to hear. Is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. It's enough for me to know God and be holy. It's enough for you to know God and be holy. It's enough for the whole world to know God and be holy. That we would, 1 Corinthians 2.2, decide to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Everything else is secondary. You want people to be saved? Tell them the gospel. You want people to, to come to church? Do you want to see our church grow and people worshiping the Lord? Tell people the gospel. Do you want other Christians to be passionate about following Jesus Christ? Tell them the gospel. Because, because our actions, what we actually speak and say and do, reveal what we really believe, what we really trust in. This is Paul's goal, and it's the question we must ask ourselves. Does your faith rest in the wisdom of men, or in the power of God. How could you tell that? How could you tell where your faith rests in the wisdom of men or the power of God? I'll tell you the first way. Just ask yourself what, the role, what role the gospel plays in your Christian life. What role does the gospel play in your faith? If the gospel is what you proclaim first and foremost and always and supremely, that is a good indication that your faith rests in the power of God. I think there's a second way that we can gauge whether or not our faith rests in the wisdom of men or the power of God, and that is to look at our weaknesses. This gets us to that question, right? What role do weaknesses play in your faith and witness? This is why I think Paul stuck verse 3 in here. Follow, let's, let's just follow the logic of Paul in this passage. Verse 1, I came to you, bro- brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. So, so think of it like this. Paul highlighted God in the gospel, not his own abilities. Rather, verse 2, 
I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul wouldn't, would highlight God, not himself. He instead just proclaimed the gospel. Now, how did the Corinthians know that that was true? How did they know that Paul's motivation wasn't to gather a following or make a lot of money? This is the answer he gives them. Verse 3. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. See, how did the Corinthians know that Paul's faith rested in the power of God? Because they heard him proclaim Christ and they saw how weak he really was. It's because Paul didn't cover up his weaknesses. Now, this is not to say that Paul was a poor speaker. I think that's actually quite the opposite. It isn't also to say that Paul made himself look or sound weak. And instead, that is like, you know, instead of speaking the gospel with boldness, Paul kind of was, was intentionally timid, sort of putting on a show. He, he wasn't doing that. No, I think Paul was probably very skilled in speaking, and he was probably very bold and persuasive. But, but here's what Paul's saying. He's saying, I, you know I didn't come to put on a show. I proclaim Christ crucified plainly, clearly, and truthfully, and you know that I trusted in the power of God because you saw how weak I really am. See, the Corinthians knew that Paul, the man, was not the star of the show, but that Christ, the God-man, crucified for sinners was. How did they know this? Well, we actually got a glimpse of Paul's weaknesses in our scripture reading. In Acts chapter 18, when he visited Corinth, in Acts chapter 18, verse 6, it says that the crowd opposed and reviled him. He didn't win the crowd, right? You're not exactly having a great day as a public speaker when the crowd opposes you and reviles you. Now, we read that Paul responded in boldness, but he wasn't trying to win them with his boldness. We also read in 1 Corinthians, I'm sorry, in Acts chapter 18, verse 9, that the Lord said to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you for I have many in the city who are my people. Now, let's just think about this logically. Why did God have to tell Paul not to be afraid? Because he was afraid. Right? He needed that comfort from the Lord. Paul understood that he could be harmed. He could even be killed. And, and they came, right? Verse 12 in Acts chapter 18, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. And we read about Sosthenes, who got beaten afterwards. I think Paul's looking back when he's writing this letter to the Corinthians and saying, don't you remember my weakness? Don't you remember how scared I was? Don't you remember the troubles that we faced? And now Paul's saying, and don't you remember that I did not stop proclaiming Christ crucified? I wouldn't compromise the message because of the danger that we faced. I wouldn't compromise the message because I was weak. Rather, we continue to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So that all the good that comes, comes from one source, the power of God. See, Paul's weaknesses served to make Paul little and Christ big. To make Paul a servant and Christ the king. To make sure that Paul was the messenger and Christ is the savior. So I ask again. Do your weaknesses help you highlight the power of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's why God gives them to us. Are you content with your weaknesses because in your weaknesses, Jesus Christ will be seen as strong? I think this is what Paul's trying to help the Corinthians and us to do. 
It's to see that our weaknesses are actually no hindrance to our ministry. They are perhaps even a gift from God to highlight the power of God in the gospel. So what role do weaknesses play in your faith and witness? Well, in order to get to the bottom of that, let's think biblically about what weaknesses are. And and the goal here isn't that you would somehow wallow in self-pity or that you would draw attention to yourself and your weaknesses. Both of those are are bad. We We want to avoid those. The goal here, though, is that you would be honest about your weaknesses, that you would be content in your weaknesses, and that in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, his glory would increase, your glory would decrease. See, if you want to look strong and lofty, brother, sister, you will make Jesus look small. But if you want Jesus to look big, you want to proclaim Christ as a savior, well, then you'll be willing to say how weak you truly are so that, 1 Corinthians 2, 5, your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So let me, let me give you some New Testament categories of weakness. Just just see where you fit into this scheme. I guarantee you'll find yourself somewhere in here. And let's ask how you might glorify God in your weaknesses. So so three three types of New Testament weakness. Number one, illness. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul tells the Galatian church, St. Paul that's writing 1 Corinthians, Galatians chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. See what that means? Paul had to stop in Galatia because he was too sick to keep going. What did he do when he was so sick he couldn't keep traveling? He preached the gospel. So now, do you have illnesses? I I know some of you have a list. And it's easy to think when you're sick, God is sending me to the bench. Like, he'll use the young and the agile and the healthy. But but you realize that if you are sick, it may just be that that's because God is sending you into the game. If I could use a sports illustration. I mean, that your sickness is not disqualifying you from ministry, but calling you into it. Oh, sure, you, you might not be able to be super active physically, but you can pray. And is prayer more significant than busyness? I like to think 99.999% of the time it is. It may be that God is going to use your weakness to highlight his glory by healing your sickness. Or to give you joy in the midst of your suffering. Or by giving you many opportunities to tell friends and families and doctors and nurses about the comfort that you have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mean, you may be sick, and that may be God calling you into ministry. The wisdom of man says, you need to be healthy to be effective. The power of God says, I'll use sick people to proclaim Christ as the healer of souls. So number one, illness. Number two, exhaustion. This is maybe for for some, some of us are going to check all these boxes, but but some of you are healthy, right? You, okay, I, I don't have any illnesses, I'm healthy. But you're worn out, you're tired, you've got nothing lo- left. I'm thinking of the parents of young children, because I'm one of those. And I know this is where I find a lot of my weaknesses. I'm very tired. 
We actually find this sort of weakness in Paul. Uh, if you want to get a better glimpse of biblical weakness, you need to go read 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12. But I'll just give you a couple highlights. This is where Paul boasts of his weaknesses, of persecution, of the travels that he had and the troubles he encountered. And then he tacks on, this is just a great phrase. This is 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. He tacks on this phrase, the saying. He says, and apart from other things is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's spiritual exhaustion. That's like a mother who needs sleep, but when you lay down, you can't stop worrying about your kids. It's that sort of exhaustion. It's the anxiety that you feel for the sake of others. Now, you may be tempted to try to fix that exhaustion. And I tell you, the internet is full of solutions that will probably leave you more worn out. But listen, if you are honest about being worn out and unable, just watch how God will work. Paul concludes, this is 2 Corinthians 12, 9. I've already alluded to this verse a ton. He said to me, Christ said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ will rest upon me. The wisdom of man says, you need to be energetic and vibrant and have everything put together to be effective. The power of God says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My grace in you is sufficient for my power to rest upon you. So you may be weak in illness, you may be weak in exhaustion. Or number three, you may be weak in temptation. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. To say that positively, because I think there's a double negative in there, right? We have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Namely, he's talking about Jesus, our high priest. So we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin. See what he's saying? Christ sympathizes with our weakness in temptation. Now, temptations are weaknesses even if you don't act on them, even if you do not actually sin. Now, if you are not sick and you are not tired, I guarantee you're tempted. This is why I said I could guarantee you that you'll find yourself somewhere in this list. If you're not sick and not tired, praise God for that. But we're all tempted. Now, what would happen if you were honest about the temptations that you face? Would you be willing to confess your temptations so that your weakness might highlight the power of God in the gospel? Now, maybe you say, I, I actually think I'm the one person that doesn't fit into this list. I don't think I'm tempted. To which I would say, boy, you are not fighting your temptations well. If you don't know how you're tempted, you are unaware of Satan's attacks on you, of the pull of your flesh. So what you should do is you should start by saying, okay, let me be honest about how I'm actually tempted. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Listen, you aren't unique. What tempts you is what tempts a thousand other people. And, and when we're talking about temptations here, I'm not saying this is something that like you are just actively giving yourself over to in sin. I think Christians historically would have called these things 
besetting sins. That is, these are not things necessarily that, that I'm, I'm giving myself into, but these are the things that just don't seem to go away. These are the temptations that I just cannot seem to shake no matter how many times I resist. Would you write a list? Here's my list. I am tempted to try to be God. That's blasphemy. I'm tempted to try to control people. I'm tempted to be bitter, to be focused on pleasing people instead of pleasing God. I am tempted to neglect people who have needs because taking care of them would really wear me out. I am tempted towards self-pity and self-righteousness and selfish ambition and scoffing and lust and gluttony and impatience and distrust and laziness, the love of money and prayerlessness. Now here's the danger with being honest about my weaknesses. You might not want me to be your pastor anymore. <laughs> I'm glad you laugh when I said that. I mean, but far worse, you may just not want to know me anymore. Because if you saw how weak I really am, would you even want to be my friend? But listen, listen, I'm not going to cover up my weaknesses because my faith rests in the power of God. I want to be able to say with confidence that Jesus has saved me from the penalty of my sins. That Jesus is, is setting me free from sin. That the Holy Spirit is active in me, killing sin and helping me fight temptation. So that, that every time I say no to a temptation, every time that I'm able to resist, every time I look at that list and I think, golly, like nothing here is really, really tempting me strong right now. I don't want to say that's because I've done something great. I want to say it's because of the power of God. It's because God has done something wonderful. I want to talk about my weaknesses and temptations and sins so that I can show Christ to be strong. And what if you were honest about your temptations? You might think that being tempted disqualifies you from living a Christian life or preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you're wrong. Admitting your temptations can serve to highlight the power of God. I mean, the wisdom of man says, you need to be perfect to be effective. The power of God says, I'll take the sinners. I'll forgive them. I'll wash them clean. I'll send them out and teach them holiness for my glory. And we could keep going. The New Testament describes weaknesses in terms of immaturity, ignorance, suffering, persecution. But I realized pretty quickly we were going to run out of time if I went through all those. But I hope you see this point. I hope you see the point. If you are honest about your weaknesses, if you are content in your weaknesses, this positions you to highlight the power of God because when you are weak, he is strong. Now back to verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The reason that your weaknesses highlight the power of God is that that's the story of the gospel. Like, the reason that you need to be content in your weaknesses and honest about your weaknesses is, is because when you do, you have set yourself up to tell the story of the gospel. I mean, there is no weaker place than the cross of Jesus Christ. It is the full embrace of human frailty. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Philippians 2, verse 6 says that the Son of God, just think about this for a second. The Son of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but 
emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. See, it's the weakness of the cross that we're tempted to resolve, to cover up, isn't it? I mean, we want Jesus to be more attractive than a naked, bleeding man. We want Jesus to be stronger than someone that dies of suffocation, screaming and suffering. We want, we want Jesus to sound more logical, more philosophical than a blood sacrifice for the sins of humanity. We want the message to sound better, to be easier on the ears and the eyes. Oh, but, but Christ crucified may look weak, right? But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. When you see what's actually happening on the cross, you can see that this is where justice is satisfied. This, this is where freedom is purchased. This is where love and mercy are freely given. This is where God breaks the curse of sin. This is where God brings children home, right? Jews demand signs. Greeks seek wisdom. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 23. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. I mean, the weakness of Jesus Christ on the cross is the eternal power of God to overcome sin and death and hell and the devil forever and to exalt his son. Back to Philippians 2. If you know this passage, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. You see that? From the pit of his weakness to the pinnacle of his, of his strength, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's power. This is why if you're not a Christian, why you should come to Jesus isn't because he would really like to have someone like you. No, when you were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. Come to Jesus not because you have something to offer him, but because he has everything to offer you. You are weak. He is strong. You can't save yourself. He has purchased your salvation. This is why Paul proclaimed Christ and him crucified. I love the language of verse two. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's sort of strange language to know nothing among you. He's saying, I just decided to tell you one thing and make it known over and over and over. Christ crucified. See, Paul knew that the people of Corinth wanted, they wanted lofty speech. They wanted eloquent wisdom. They wanted to be entertained and persuaded. They wanted to be impressed with the messenger and Paul would have none of it. It might look weak, it might look foolish, but proclaiming Christ crucified is where the power of God is. So Paul wouldn't hide his weaknesses. He wouldn't even try to hide Christ's weaknesses. This calls us to a similar witness, that we would make nothing known except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Or we like to use this catchy little phrase on our, some of our documents and on our sign, and trying to use this a little bit more in our leadership of knowing Jesus and making him known. Now, I mean, that sounds nice. It looks good on a business card when you're giving it to other Christians. But if you think about it, like, that's a really a weak mission statement. Knowing Jesus might look weak 
because we have lots of other concerns in our lives. Right? Is knowing Jesus what we should really be so focused on? I mean, don't you have concerns about family and health and work and politics and entertainment and relationships? Don't you feel weak in a thousand other areas? And here you are once again to hear that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. I mean, that, that just seems weak. Like we should be more, more robust, more thought out. We should have more variety in what we have to say. But see, knowing Jesus is how the power of God works in our lives to answer all those concerns. Knowing Jesus is how we align ourselves to God's will and God's ways and God's help. And so a powerful witness to each other is to know nothing but Christ crucified. That is, that is, we're going to work together to see how the gospel of Jesus impacts and changes and answers all those concerns. So we focus on knowing Jesus. We aren't interested in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Right? And making Jesus known might look weak. You mean all we're going to do is keep telling other people about Jesus too. It might look weak because like, people have all sorts of issues with that, right? Most of us... Uh, all of us are not equipped to answer every objection or win every argument or impress every seeker. I think that, that training in, in sharing the gospel and apologetics and education are all very good and important and biblical, but we cannot build an effective witness for Jesus on our abilities. God has sent us on a mission to make Jesus known, and it's not about our skill. It's about speaking Making Jesus known is not about persuading people. It's about proclaiming the gospel. Paul said, I won't even use lofty speech or wisdom. I'll only proclaim Christ. I'll proclaim his weaknesses from my weaknesses so that the power of God would be highlighted. Let's do the same. I mean, proclaim Jesus Christ crucified and nothing else. It doesn't mean we don't talk about other things, but that, that, is, the, that is the reigning dominant narrative in our lives and in our witness. Don't worry about impressing people. You won't. Like, don't worry about having a great story to tell. At least not one other than, than Christ crucified. Hey, don't worry about answering every argument. You can't. Decide to make nothing known except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Right? I will not boast in wealth or might, we just sang, or human wisdom's fleeting light, but... I will boast in knowing Christ at the cross. I mean, th that's where our faith is, right? Isn't our faith in the cross of Christ for the power of God? D didn't God save us when we were weak? Didn't God save us when human wisdom could not solve the problem of sin and death? Why would we try to alter that message? Why would we want to speak anything else? Proclaim it. So as you go about your life sharing the gospel with people, focus on proclamation. Speaking the truths of the gospel. May that be your witness. Don't, don't try to make the message more appealing. Don't try to make the messenger more appealing either. Because in our weakness, right, he shows himself to be strong. Let's pray. God, it is hard 
for us to speak about our witnesses and we could blame or our weaknesses and we could blame that on our culture. We could we could say that you know we have so much and life is so easy for us where we live and that is very true. Um, but I think it's really our pride, God. It's our pride that says we don't want to look weak. It's our pride that says we need to come up with something better than Christ crucified. And, and so, God, would you humble us? Um, and God, I, I pray not just humble us, but reward us. But I, I praise you that my brothers and sisters here at Crossroads are very committed to making nothing known but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. God, I praise you that we have have been a church that tells each other regularly the good news of the gospel and builds lives, or our lives on it. God, I praise you that you have done that work in us, and I pray you would keep us resolved to make nothing known but Christ and Him crucified in our weaknesses, in our fear, in our trembling, not with lofty words, not with plausible wisdom, but with clear proclamation of the truth. God, I pray, too, that you would use that and make it effective in this world. Uh, that, that, that people might hear our words and come to Christ, not because we were so persuasive, but because we told them, and you worked, and that is your power. You might, you might even grow our numbers in our church of people who have come to Christ, praising you together, grow our friendships and our family, not because we finally figured out how to convince people to come here on Sunday morning, but because we told them about Jesus, and by your power, you brought them to faith and brought them into worship. God, would you stir in us a great desire to know you and make you known. God, and not because we somehow figured out a catchy slogan or a program that finally got us all convinced to live for Jesus, but because the power of, of God, God, your power, God, is active in us, putting sin to death, teaching us to love Christ, filling us with new desires and delights that come from you. And God, you will do that in the midst of our weaknesses. And you will do it for your glory. So God, I pray that you would help us, help us to be content and honest about our weaknesses, that you might receive praise and that your power would be made known. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.